Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we are joined by guests from UBS Asset Management, as well as GQG Partners for a conversation on the implications of disruptive technologies and the opportunity set in artificial intelligence. So to further tee up today's conversation and to introduce our guests, I would like to welcome Molly Milgard, Investment Specialist with UBS Asset Management. Uh, with that, Molly, welcome. I'll pass it over to you. Great. Thanks, Dan, and good afternoon, and thank you for having us on air. We're absolutely thrilled to have Rajiv Jain with us today from GQG Partners, a sub-advisor within a large-cap growth equity fund. I'm sure many of our listeners might be aware of Rajiv, as he is the founder, chairman, and chief investment officer for GQG. With that, I'll pass it over to Mayor to introduce Rajiv. Thanks, Molly. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we're really excited to have Rajiv uh, with us this afternoon. In addition to his high-level responsibilities that Molly mentioned, Rajiv serves as lead portfolio manager across the firm's strategies. GQG was founded in 2016. The firm manages $104 billion in assets across a handful of strategies. Prior to founding GQG, Rajiv was co-CEO, CIO, and head of equities at Bontobel Asset Management, where he spent nearly 22 years. Rajiv was instrumental in building a roughly $50 billion equity business at his prior shop. Additionally, he was awarded Morningstar Fund Manager of the Year in 2012. In terms of his investment approach and the firm, GQG follows a forward-looking quality process focused on finding quality businesses that can compound capital over time, but with a willingness to be dynamic as the underlying business fundamentals change. Additionally, the team is focused on bottom-up research, but there is an appreciation of the macro environment. I've followed the firm and known Rajiv going back many years. Rajiv, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mayor. It's good to be here. Yeah, so, so with that, let's get right into the conversation. Your firm has been quite successful uh, since its founding. What do you believe is GQG's edge in what is a very competitive landscape? Yeah, thanks, Mayor. So um, uh, 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 there are a few different things which I believe that sort of, A, helped us outperform and hence differentiated uh, us, us versus, um, you know, versus a peer group. Uh, the, the two most important things I would mention is first on the team side, um, the, it's a very, very diverse team and, and what we call this traditional, non-traditional. And we also have in the, in the non-traditional side, we also have a number of former investigative journalists, forensic accountant, uh, folks who have long, short experience and so on and so forth. So, um, including value side, growth side. So it's extremely diverse team with a bunch of folks actually coming from outside industry, which is fairly unique. Uh, and the second part is from a process perspective, we tend to be fairly objective in terms of looking at the data, uh, and, and we are willing to sort of uh, traffic the whole spectrum. Uh, so last year, as you know, we had significant energy exposure, uh, while before we had significant tech exposure. So the, the exposures can move around quite meaningfully over the longer run, which we believe offers much better risk reward. And, and, and I think, I think when you add the two, um, it, it has helped our performance, but also has helped us differentiate quite a bit versus, uh, you know, versus a peer group. That's helpful, and that actually is a nice segue into my second question in terms of the significant shift that you mentioned um, in, on, on a sector perspective as well as from a beta 
positioning perspective from mid-21 to 22? Um, and, and can you provide some color on those changes at a high level and the research that led to those decisions? Yeah. So if you go back um, to 2020, 2021, uh, what we saw was clear signs of a little bit of frothiness in, in some some apps, you know, so some parts of the market, particularly in the technology side, communication side, and so on and so forth. And as you know, there's a long goal market. And, 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 and we also look for macro data to manage our risk. Uh, and what we saw was what we have, uh, what we call our forward-looking uh, inflation indicators. And all those indicators begin to sort of flash red uh, by early 2021. And that made us pretty nervous because historically, when you go back, and this is not only U.S., but also other markets, where the rate of change of inflation sort of moves around. In other words, you go from 2-3% inflation, all of a sudden start to 4-5%. And that can be pretty detrimental to, to, to expensive stocks, especially as interest rates go up. So we, we became exceedingly cautious the first half of 2021. Uh, and, 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 and related to that was that, that some, of, some of the other aspects of markets, um, particularly the energy side and material side, had begun to look very attractive because the cash flows were coming through in a very, very significant manner. I mean, oil companies that used to break even at $100 oil were now were breaking even at $30 oil. So companies like Exxon did, were, were, you know, were doing very well even at $60, $65 oil. And we thought the technology had become very expensive with the, with the earnings picture becoming a little bit frothy uh, as, as we thought there was a lot of COVID uh, pull forward. So when you add the two, um, the bottom-up uh, free cash flow generation on the energy front and the frothiness on the tech side, it, it kind of began to sort of look a lot like 99.2000.com. As you know, uh, there's a whole generation that has passed, and we thought that you know the new generation was ignoring the lessons of the past. So we started cutting back pretty aggressively and 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 and, and entered and started uh, you know buying into energy, which uh, which helped us quite a bit last year in terms of downside protection because energy turned out to be one of the better areas. Um, as as we fast forward this year, we thought that tech had become look attractive, particularly in context of AI. Uh, the tech spend has, has has seems to be sort of bottoming out. So we like the long the the, the longer term um, uh, growth expectations, uh, you know, sort of growth. Um, uh, the, the the growth that tech that uh, you know IT can deliver, uh, so we kind of reduce our energy exposure again. And and these things are very hard to predict how long these cycles last. I mean, I remember the dot com bubble and bust; those lasted a lot more than a year and a half, two years. So if you look at portfolio today, uh, you know we we are back sort of overweight energy, uh, overweight technology uh, versus energy, which we have reduced and booked a lot of profits over the last six twelve months. So, so the bottom line is that, that that helps us protect a lot better. I think a lot of uh, quality growth measures were down 25, 30, in some cases 40 percent last year. We, you know, we 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 were down sort of most in religious because of that. AI has obviously been a significant part of the narrative in recent quarters. Feels like much longer than that. And obviously, AI it's not a, a new technology. It's a technology that's been under development and evolving over a long period of time to get to the point of the chat GPTs of the world and, and so on. Can you discuss how GQG is evaluating the implications of this disruptive technology, the opportunity set in this theme, and uh, kind of getting to that point that you just made, how it has impacted positioning? Yeah, so I think, I think uh, as you rightly said, yeah, it's been around for a long time, but what chat GPT, chat GPT did was it actually reignited kind of the animal spirits uh, and, and, the, and, and the corporates 
uh, are being forced to react to, uh, to, to the implications of this. Uh, there's obviously a paradigm shift that is happening and, and in, in a number of different areas. So our view is that it's very hard to predict who the ultimate winners would be. Just like dot com, no one, no, nobody in, in my view could have predicted Amazon would be the winner. I mean, people bet on Bezos and they were right, but you couldn't have said Amazon would be the winner in the in the e-commerce side as there were literally hundreds of players. Um, and and search, Yahoo was a leader, and Yahoo disappeared, and Google came along which wasn't really, you know, even around for the most part in the late 90s. So it's hard to predict who the winners are going to be. However, there's certain companies which you feel are a little bit better positioned. Number one. Number two, certain companies which are sort of kind of um, the, the picks and shovels providers, uh, particularly the semiconductor side, companies like NVIDIA. So we feel that those companies are very hard to replace. They may be a little more cyclical, so there's more economic sensitivity. However, semiconductor names we particularly like, and few select ones, not every, everybody, because I think what the market have begun to just in the last few weeks, months, have begun to realize that not everything is going to be a winner, and there will be a number of uh, major companies which, which would be on the losing side. So select software companies, but particularly semiconductor side, we, we quite like the exposure, because I think the IT spend overall may not grow as much. You know, maybe the cycle is bottoming, but it may not grow as much. But they will be they will be shift within the IT spend in favor of some of these companies like Nvidia, etc. From a research standpoint, do you uh, obviously AI impacts not just technology, not just t- software, but can impact multiple sectors and almost all all products and, and so forth, just given the efficiencies that can potentially be cleaned. How do you attack that from a research standpoint and just trying to get your arms around it? Yeah, so, so uh, but first of all, we, as, as you know, the same team that covers emerging markets also. So we feel there's no real inherent advantage for the data that, you know, companies like Google, et cetera, have. In fact, it's fascinating that, um, that uh, the whole notion that the largest companies have data so they would be winners. Data is important to be clear. Um, so uh, so, so I, think, I, think, I think there'll be some winners coming out of, uh, every industry, um, and, 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 and some models are more predictable at this point. So, so the, for example, financial services, while every financial service company will be spending, um, they, they may be specific companies, for example, Intuit, we believe, would be more, more likely to be on the winning side than the losing side. Uh, same way, if you look at insurance pricing, I think companies that, that have, that, that have, that, 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 that are, you know, there are a few companies that are better positioned because in insurance, uh, you know, your ability to be more accurate in pricing insurance risk is, is, you know, can be the difference between survival and, and not surviving. Um, the same way uh, in terms of automotive side, there'll be, there'll be companies like Tesla probably would be on the winning side because, because, you know, it's just the way the company set up or some the other one. So I think, I think there'll be, there'll be some obvious winners, uh, and some less obvious winners every industry with the caveat that it's very, very early days. So it's hard to pinpoint. At this point, the best way to summarize would be that everybody would be forced to spend. Larger companies probably a little bit ahead of the curve simply because the resources of it is going to be very expensive. Uh, however, uh, the, the 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 playing field would be leveled much more quickly because it's like you know standing in a stadium. The first person to stand up has a better view, but everybody you know everybody realizes that and everybody stands up. So you know you kind of back to the same level. That that is much more likely to happen rather sort of paradigm shift in productivity or something. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, so last question from me, uh, what are some of the key signposts that you're thinking about just broadly uh, in terms of this theme? Any thoughts on valuations uh, you know, given the strong returns that we've seen in some of those names? 
Yeah, so the interesting thing is that while some of these names have done well, the valuations are, are maybe a little bit elevated, but not too elevated. Uh, and I think I think you're basically paying for security or longer-term earnings. Um, in fact, some of these businesses are almost trading like faster-growing staples. Um, so I think I think we see the valuation are fine, particularly the fact that inflation has begun to come off. And if you look if you look at our forward inflation indicators, they're all sort of calming down. So inflation we we do not believe at this point would be a real problem. And if the Fed is close to the end of the tightening cycle, we feel the valuation uh, can 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 stay you know at these kind of levels. Particularly, the earning growth has been extremely robust. So we've been relatively upbeat about uh, prospects of some of these businesses. Because the other side is, if you look at some of the other areas like industrial, etc., uh, uh, they aren't exactly being given away. Number number two is that if 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 you do get a sort of mild recession, then some of the earnings might be might be impacted. So I think I think the markets have been we feel rational about paying up for these growth stories because because of the security of growth, optionality for AI, and the possibility of a mild recession, um, sort of over the next nine twelve months. Is, is, is how they're looking at it, which which you know, which which you feel kind of makes sense. Rajiv, thanks again for taking the time this afternoon and providing your insights. Definitely gives all of us an interesting perspective to consider. Thanks, Mirus. Yeah, and, and it's good to be here. Thank you, Rajiv. We re- we really appreciate your time today. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG and is a member of FINRA and SIPC.